uh, this is Palm Sunday. The, the, so there, there's a real, uh, it, it's just hard to be sneaky on, on a day like today. Uh, can anyone guess what our, what our story, our text is for today? <laughs> any, any thoughts, any guesses? Uh, surprise, we're going to talk about Jesus' triumphal entry. Um, it, it, you'll find this in multiple Gospels. Um, and, and when I look at the triumphal entry, I, 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 see, I, I see a really, uh, you know, it's an incredible story about, largely about um, a whole bunch of people that missed a moment. When we, when we look at it and, and, you know, we're coming out of, uh, we've been talking about Exodus, um, the story of, of how God saved the Hebrew people from Egypt and, and, and drew them out. And, and we did that on purpose because there is a, there is a correlation between the triumphal entry and that story from, from the old Testament. And we're going to we're going to see that as we go along today. But but the story of the triumphal entry in itself um, is a story I think largely about people who missed that opportunity. Um, they had the opportunity to stand by Jesus to support him in his hour of need, to be on on the right side of history. But but they but they missed it. Um, but thankfully. There are a few people in that moment that were prepared for the moment that, that didn't. And, and what we're going to do today a little bit is look at and kind of compare and contrast these, these two people with everybody else so that we, we can see what the difference is. I think there's one kind of standout thing that we can learn from their lives that is the difference between standing on the right side of, of, of God in his activity and history and, and not. Um, and so that's what we're gonna, where we're kind of headed today. Um, let's just open with a word of prayer, though. God, we, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to come together and assemble as, as your followers, as a, as a family of God. Lord, as we, we look into your word this morning, um, let it be life to us. Would you speak to us through it? God, it, it, we know it, it's no surprise what we're talking about today, but don't please help us, Holy Spirit, to not let the, the repetition or the, the fact that we, we kind of can, can have an expectation of, of what the story is and we've heard it before. Um, God, would you give us fresh ears and, and soft hearts to hear it, hear it anew, um, to be encouraged again, to be instructed again and challenged again and, and connected to you uh, again through, through this amazing account of, uh, of your, your, your life and, and your ultimately your sacrifice in our, for us. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're just going to kind of jump in um, into the story. The, the background um, is we've reached the end of Jesus' life, right? Um, Jesus has, has come to the end of his time here on earth. His, his popularity is at a fever pitch, right? Everybody knows Jesus' name. He's the hot ticket in town or any town he's in. Um, he's a polarizing kind of figure everybody's trying to has an opinion or a take on who he is and what he stands for and what what his his goals or his plans are he, he's just raised Lazarus from the dead which is publicly one of one of the most kind of high profile miracles that 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 Jesus did he, he's on his way to Jerusalem and this is this is the kind of the the first cue to our, our tie back to our last series uh, he is on his way to Jerusalem uh, along with the rest of the country because it's it's fast it's Passover season it's time for the, 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 the festival of unleavened bread. The, 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 remember the, the last couple of weeks in Exodus, we were talking about how Jesus or how God freed the, the Hebrews. And we, and we looked at how he institutes this, this festival to commemorate that. And we talked about the significance of that and, and, and how God institutes this celebration that, that the Hebrew people are supposed to do from now and forever. And so here we have kind of fast forward hundreds of years. We have uh, Israel still celebrating that festival, still observing that, that order that the Lord gave them so long ago. 
And, and so the whole, the whole, the whole country basically is, is, is conver- converging on, on Jerusalem to observe the Passover feast. He was with Lazarus the night before and, and the word of the miracle had spread all over the place. So, so <clears throat> things for Jesus and his ministry were, were, going, were going nuts and the town in general is, is exploding because everybody's converging. So you have, have this, this picture of just this, this fevered pitch in, in the town. It's, you know... It, it's what, what I would imagine, like, you know, here in Columbus, uh, I think the closest thing we would ever experience, not that we ever will because we're in the north, but if, if Ohio State was ever playing Michigan in the national championship and somehow it was a home game, that's kind of, around here, that's probably the closest thing you'd feel where it's just, it's just everybody's pouring in and everybody's uh, electric with what's going on. Um, so, so, so we get to this moment, it's Passover and Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem. We're just going to pick the story up in, in Luke 19, uh, starting in verse 28 it says after telling the story, Jesus went on towards Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead and says, go into the village over there. He told them. As you enter it, you'll see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owner asked them, pretty reasonable question, why are you untying my my colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments and on the road ahead of him. And when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they, they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the king who, who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying that. And he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Popular verse. We've, we've heard this story many times. Um, they were all here to celebrate the, this, this feast of God saving them, right? This Passover feast in the past. And they're, they're giving hope for, for, for a coming Savior. You know, they understood that the Passover, um, the Passover was something to be celebrated, but they also understood that it was, a, it was in some aspect a placeholder. They understood that there was, a, there was a, a Messiah coming that was one day going to lead them into ultimate freedom and ultimate escape from, from their sin and from, from bondage. Everybody's looking for that. There, there's millions of people from all over the place in attendance. But for our time today, we want to kind of break them up into ten, kind of three categories um, for the most part. There was, there was the crowds, right? There was people from all over. Um, and the, the crowds were here and they're celebrating Jesus. And they're, they're all so full of Jesus was this Messiah, you know, the, at this point, um, Rome was oppressing Israel and, and, and all of Israel was, was groaning, was hoping that this Messiah that, that the Old Testament had, had promised them would be here soon. And, and the crowds, the reason they're worshiping Jesus, the reason they're so excited, the reason they're laying their coats down is because they, they hope that he's the guy that's going to free them from, from Rome. They, they, they were full of, of hope in Jesus. Then we have a, another group, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and these were the men that were dedicated to studying and knowing all about this coming Messiah. These are the guys that, that ran the show. They were the ones that were the, 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 the academics and the, 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 the leaders. They're also the political leaders. Back then, there, was, there really wasn't, in, at least in Israel, there, there wasn't... A, their separation of church and state was not a thing for them, right? This, was, <laughs> this, is, a, this is a more modern um, concept in, in Israel. Um, 
There is no separation of church and state. The, the religious leaders were the leaders. And so these were the people that, that knew, uh, knew the scripture the best. These were the people that were, were literally, their job literally was to know the scriptures and, and to look for and be able to identify the Messiah when he showed up. So you had the crowds, you had the, the, the Pharisees with their knowledge, and then you had the disciples Jesus' close friends and followers, his, his, some of his, his apprentices, if you, could, you can use that word appropriately, I think, there. And they were, they were filled. They, the, yes, they had some knowledge, and certainly they had hope, but, but the disciples even had something a little more. They were filled with faith and excitement that Jesus was finally getting revealed. They had walked with him. They knew him. They, they had seen his miracles. They had, to some of them, many of them had, had participated. That God had used them in the miraculous. They had faith that, that Jesus was the Messiah, that he, he was the one that was going to um, fulfill all of the things that they were, that they were, they were hoping for. And so Jesus has this king's welcome as he gets close to the city and everything's going great. But then just before he enters the city, Luke records um, maybe one of the saddest passages in all the New Testament. In verse 41, he says, but when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it saying, how I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late. Peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not accept your opportunity for salvation. Some translations call it a day of visitation or a instead of an opportunity for salvation. But millions of people had gathered uh, to celebrate the, the hope of this great Savior that would come and rescue them. And within a week, every one of them would either abandon him or be actively attacking that, that same Savior that they were celebrating. They missed what was going on. They missed their day of visitation. They, they missed the picture that Jesus was painting here as he's, even on this day, as he's going into the city, he's, he's, Jesus was a, such a master of preaching with everything. You know, there's that old saying, you know, by all means, preach, and if you must, use words. Jesus was a master that not just in his teachings, in his parables, in his lectures, but in his life, in his actions, he was constantly teaching. And, and a lot of it, uh, we, it's easy for us sitting here, you know, thousands of years later in, in America to miss a lot of this stuff because he's using object with his life. A lot of times he would use object lessons and things from their history that would have been very recognizable to them, but not so much to us because we don't know things about donkeys and we don't understand the, the geography of the area and the significance of certain mountains and roads and animals even. And so sometimes we, we, we can miss it or it seems like he's, Jesus is speaking you know, in, in kind of in cloaked language, but the reality is it's, it, it takes some extra digging for us, but it, it wouldn't have been for them. It would have been fairly, fairly, um, you know, on the surface for, for, for them that were, that were looking. They were welcoming him as a king, but, but they forgot how he was introduced to them in the first place. See, if we, if we rewind a little bit to Jesus, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, they're welcoming him as, as king, right? King David coming in, they're saying Hosanna and the palm branches. But they forgot that Jesus didn't introduce himself. God didn't introduce him as a king. If we go back to, to the beginning of his ministry, John the Baptist is there, and, and at the beginning of his ministry, he calls him what? The very first identific like public identification of who Jesus is. Paul sa or John says, Behold the Lamb of God, that's right, who takes away the sins of the world. 
They all missed the fact that Jesus entering on that day was, they were, they were ushering him in as king, which, which isn't wrong. Of course, it's not wrong, but it's not the picture that he was, was it's not the totality of the picture he was painting in that moment. See, uh, in that moment, he, he's taking this path on this day and, and on that path with him, not only were throngs of people, but there were, there were herds of lambs. Because this was the day, and this was the road, and this was the path, and this was the direction that all of the lambs that were being led into the city for the Passover that was about to happen would come. And so you have Jesus riding on this donkey, coming into this city amidst the herd of the other sacrificial lambs, and it's not a coincidence that he would be a part of that. Jesus tells us in that moment as he's walking that, that yes, I'm king, but I am also coming as a lamb. Just like John tried to tell you at the beginning. So the crowds were so full of hope for Jesus, for the future uh, Jesus was going to bring. But in a matter of days, they, they would be calling for his execution. Why? How, how do we get this shift isn't hope a good thing? How, how does hope go bad so quickly? Well, the problem was their, their hope, hope is good. But when hope is tied to certain expectations, when those expectations aren't met, our hope is lost. And they lost their hope because they had expectations of how Jesus was supposed to act and what he was supposed to accomplish. And when those expectations weren't met, the hope dissolved. And when hope dissolves many times, it, it doesn't go back to neutral. <laughs> Anybody experience this? When you, when you have put your hope in something and that hope is dashed, you don't end up just back to, oh, well, you usually end up further down the scale in, in bitterness or sadness or seeking, seeking um, even vengeance on, on the, the thing that let you down. And so we have the, the crowds who were full of hope, lost their hope. We have the, the, the Pharisees that, that had all of the knowledge. They were charged with keeping the, the culture centered around God and, and being on the watch for the Messiah. But they decided that Jesus had to die and were actively pursuing his, this plot that would ultimately roll out over the, the next number of days because, um, well, I, I want to... I don't want to defend the Pharisees, but I do want to give a little bit of context here. See, a, a lot of times we, we're so quick, we love to, to vilify the, the, the Pharisees. And I'm not saying they, they don't deserve their fair share. Um, but there was more going on. It was more complicated than, than we sitting here passing judgment on you know, a group of people, whatever, how many hundreds of years ago. Um, would tend to, to think of it, right? Um, check out in John 11, we, we see kind of a, a little bit of insight into the conversations, into their thought process of these Pharisees that, that, that knew what was going on, but, but it wasn't just purely out of jealousy. It wasn't purely just out of this, this idea that they just hated Jesus just because he was getting the shine. That, I'm sure, played into it a bit. But, but look at this conversation um, uh, the Pharisees kind of had when they're trying to figure out what to do with Jesus. In John chapter 11, he says, if we allow him, Jesus, to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. And then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. And one of them, Caiaphas, being the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. We paint the, the Pharisees as these caricatures, but they were real people trying to do a reasonable thing. They had plenty of, of knowledge, but that knowledge wasn't, uh, didn't provide the courage they needed to risk doing the right thing, 
See, it was reasonable for them to think that if Jesus gets any more popular and, 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 and with the city being the way it is and him coming in, if, if, if this goes this way and everybody aligns with him, Rome is not going to stand for this. And we are all going to get destroyed. Most of the Pharisees, I believe, thought they were doing the right thing. They took their knowledge and they applied it to the situation. But they ended, up, they ended up on the wrong side because knowledge doesn't bring courage. And then we have the disciples who had all the personal experience to, to build their faith in Jesus. They had walked with him and they had talked with him and they had, they had seen him do all of these supernatural things and heard him explain things with an authority and in a way that nobody ever had before. But even with all that faith, they were, they were in all their excitement, they would in short order abandon him. For a variety of reasons, everybody withdrew from Jesus when, when the, the storms came, when, when, when the tide turned. They all withdrew. And my, my question for you this morning is, is just one of reflection. Have you ever been tempted to withdraw from Jesus? Maybe there was a situation when you had a certain expectation of him. You had hopes in a certain area, but those expectations weren't met. That he didn't meet like the, the crowds and, and your hope was lost. And so our reaction, our natural reaction is to, to withdraw from, from a person that, that hasn't, hasn't lived up to our hopes. Maybe, you know, it's, it, you, you have your beliefs in order, but, but doing the right thing, it, sometimes it seems like the consequence is just too big. Like the Pharisees. The consequence of, it's just, I, I, you know, I believe in Jesus, I love Jesus, but, but the idea of, of putting myself out there, the idea of, of standing up to a, a people at work or, or with my friends uh, to, to hold an ideal that I know that, that is gonna ca they're going to cast dispersions on me or, or I, I'm never going to get ahead in the company if they know I have, hold these certain beliefs or, or I know this relationship could be in jeopardy if I start acting the way I know Jesus wants me to act. And so we withdraw because the, the, it's just too big a risk to really do what we know God would call us to in that moment. And maybe you're here this morning and you're just in, uh, for lack of a better term, you're just in duck and cover mode. That's, that's where we find the, in this week uh, of Jesus' life and the disciples' life, that's, that's really what you see in them, right? They, the, when when, when uh, Rome comes, when Jesus gets arrested, they just go into survival mode. And, and their faith was, was tested. And, and, and it wasn't, I don't think, uh, rational. They weren't reasoning things out. They were just in survival mode. They are just ducking cover. Let me hide. I don't know what's going on. Their heads were spinning. And so they... They weren't able to act like they, they thought they would in that moment. They weren't able to, to stay faithful to the faith Jesus had put in them. We've all had moments or are having parts of our lives where we are, we are tempted or struggling to withdraw from Jesus. But th there's good news this morning because in our story, although millions have missed it, there were two that didn't. There were two that didn't that, that can offer to us, I think, uh, um, a strategy or, or give us the answer to how, how do we overcome those temptations to withdraw and we see them in two people, too, they're familiar to you, Mary and John. These were the two people that if you follow, as you follow the, the, the resurrection story, were faithful step by step as best they could to stay close to Jesus. 
They made the most of their opportunity. They stayed faithful. They were, as far as we know, the only two people that saw all of the greatest thing to ever happen to humanity because they stayed faithful. So, so what set them apart? Why these two? You know, there were, there were plenty of other people that the Pharisees had more knowledge. Many in the crowd probably had more, more hope. What was it? And, and the answer is, may, may seem uh, trite or, or oversimplistic, but it, it's the ones I think scripture gives, and it's simply love. The crowds had hope. The Pharisees had knowledge. The disciples had faith. But John and Mary had love more than anyone else. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 tells us that these three things will last, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. See, Mary was the, was the mother of Jesus. And I mean, that's kind of self-explanatory, right? Don't, don't nobody love you like mama, Right? And we're talking about a Jewish mother here who, who globally is famous for mothers loving their sons, right? And then we have John who, in his account of his time with Jesus, I, I love this, it kind of such a, such a great thing. I, I, I think we should all, if we all aspire to one thing in Scripture... I, this, this would serve us great. When John is, is writing his gospel and he's, yeah, he's referring to himself, he, he calls himself the disciple who Jesus loved. Of all the things that he could have, he could have monikered himself with, this was the guy who outlived the rest of the disciples. He was, he was largely, you know, kind of like a, a New Testament terminator. You know, tradition has, they, they, they basically, you know, he wrote the book of Revelation on the island of Patmos because the Roman government gave up on trying to kill him because it just couldn't, it never happened. Because they, they would try, he was assassinated, try, they tried to execute him multiple times and it just never took um, so they just gave up and kind of just stuck him on this island. There was lots of things in John's life that he could have made the title of who he is, the descriptor, his, his primary kind of title or identity. And he chose the disciple who Jesus loved. See, the crowds had their hope that Jesus was going to make their life better, but their hope failed. The Pharisees had all the knowledge to recognize the Messiah, but the human mind just can't fully understand God or his plans. Peter and the disciples had faith built by watching Jesus, but the, in the moment it proved too little to overcome the circumstances. Mary and John had, had love. They did have hope in him, yes, of course. They did know a lot about him, his prophecies, all these things. They had seen the same miracles that, that the, the rest of the disciples had seen, but, but I believe at the end of that horrid day, what kept them at the foot of the cross had nothing to do with that. At the end of the day, if you were to ask them why they stood there, why they stayed, I think the answer would be simple. I love that man. Where else can I go? Strip away all the miracles that Jesus performed and the sermons he taught for a moment. Just for a moment. I'm not, not minimizing those, but just for a second. Because I think it, 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 if you take all those away, the person you are left with in the Bible is still a Jesus who is worth falling in love with. Story after story, we learn that Jesus is the type, he, he plays with children. He says, let them come to me. You know, in my, in, in, growing up in, in, in our family, uh, when, we, when the extended family would get together um, and we would go over to, to, to grandma and papa's house in, in Erie, you know, it, the basement was for the kids, 
right? We were allowed outside and you were allowed in, you could eat. Um, but when, when things got real, <laughs> when it was time to actually talk, um, it, was, it was basement time. Kids in the basement, go, you know, right? Because that's where they, they needed to go. Um, of course, we figured out a workaround. We duct taped a walkie-talkie to the bottom of the coffee table <laughs> so we could hear what was going on down there. Because <laughs> in those moments, we deemed we weren't, we weren't essential. We, we needed to not be in those conversations. But, but Jesus had made it a priority to, to make sure that, that, that children understood that they were valued by him. And to communicate to everybody around that they had value. He played with children. He also, he, he also chose losers. Which I am so grateful for. The disciples were nobody that he entrusted with the most important job any human has ever had to start the church, to continue his mission in perpetuity. He chose the, 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 the least likely guys, the, the last pick, the, the ones that, that, that hadn't had been overlooked. Not only that, he, we, we see that Jesus was one who, who forgives the guilty and impure even at his own expense of reputation. Like the time when the Pharisees brought the, the woman caught in adultery, he, he, he defends her, he, he forgives her, he asks nothing from her. He even commissions her to, to go and, and sin no more. That was for her benefit. We look at that story and, and, and we, it makes us love Jesus. But how many know in that moment that did not make him Mr. Popular? It cost him something in the eyes of many around him. It put a bigger target on his back. It made them think less of, of his character. But he did it anyway. He restores those who abandon him. You know, Peter makes a, a bold confession saying he's with Jesus to the end. And you, you know how that goes. And, you know, throughout this week, we're going <laughs> if, to, if you read the, the, the story, he's going to, you know, no sooner as he say it, he's, he denies Jesus three times. And then we see later on in the, the story after Jesus' resurrection that, 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 uh, Jesus makes a special point when he gathers the disciples to go get Peter. Make sure Peter's here. And when, Pete, when he gets to Peter, he has conversations with Peter to restore him, to re-encourage him, to, to recommission him, to make sure that, that, that their relationship is, is patched up, even though he was the one that, that, Peter was the one that messed up the relationship, that broke faith, Jesus still pursues him and, and makes sure that he, can, he brings him back into relationship. But not only that, Jesus cries with his friends when they're sad. You know, he's coming off the story of Lazarus and, um, you know, every, every kid's favorite memory verse is in that story. John eleven thirty five. 35 Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Kids like it because, well, it's an easy way to get a star on the board, right? Sunday school, you got to, you know, the more memory verses you, you memorize, the more stars you get. That one, you know, hey, I can do that one in three minutes. No biggie. Um, but it's such, it's such a small verse, but it's so important it's so uh, poignant that that Jesus the man who who come, he knows what's about to happen he knows he's about to resurrect this guy he knows everything is going to be good but still in the moment he cries he weeps with his friends because he sees their pain he's just reacting to their pain in this moment he knows in in just a few little bit of time just a few hours or whatever it was that the Lazarus was going to be going to be um going to be raised from the dead and everyone was going to be celebrating. But I think, and I just think, man, that is so, that is so outside of, 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 of me in that moment 
to be so attuned to somebody's um, emotional state that, that, that his reaction is to just have compassion and sympathize and empathize with what they're going on in this moment, even though he knows in, in a couple of moments it's not going to matter anymore. Because <laughs> he cries with friends when they're sad. Jesus is the guy that gives second, third, and fourth chances. Over and over again, the disciples uh, are constantly missing things, right? That, that is the gospel story. That Jesus is doing something, and they don't understand it, and then he's got to explain it, and then they still don't understand it. Most of their understanding hap- actually happens post-resurrection, right? Where their eyes are opened, um, But despite all that, over and over again, he never kicked any of them out. He never found somebody that'd be a better fit. This is a Jesus we we, we can fall in love with. But if, if everything else isn't enough, the greatest reason to love him was pictured on this first Palm Sunday as Jesus strode into Jerusalem as, as our sacrificial lamb among all the other lambs pouring into the city. He, he willingly, intentionally lays his life down so that we could have our lives given back to us. Jesus becomes our Passover lamb. See, the crowds that day may have missed the bigger picture, but they did, they did in one regard get it right. At least in that, on that day, they had the proper response, which is to honor Jesus, to worship Jesus, to praise Jesus, and, and rejoice at his presence. Because he, he is worthy of our love. And it, 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 that is the thing that separated John and Mary from everybody else. And so if, you, if you're wondering today, if you're struggling today, if, if you don't, with, with your faith or your hope, my encouragement to you is to focus on love. Focus on how much Jesus loves you. And focus on, on, on your love for him, which is always a reaction, which is always a, 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 a response to the love that he, he pours out on us. We're going to close in just a minute if you guys want to stand. And I don't know what's going on in your life or what has gone on or what will go on. But I do know that embracing and receiving Jesus' love is the key to walking through this life. And the more we we fix our eyes on on him, the more we we become, we we, we are students of of his activity here on earth, the more we we are convinced of who he was, the more we will love him. Because the more clearly you see Jesus, the more you understand how much he loves you. Listen, if you're struggling today to believe that Jesus loves you, it's a vision problem of of your understanding of him. That's where it starts. It doesn't, you don't fix that by just being a better person. You don't fix that by just just acting better or doing more to earn his love. That's not going to work. It's not going to work. It happens by, by receiving and understanding and submitting to the fact that, that he is just that good. He is just that loving. He is just that forgiving. He is just that passionate about the, the person that he created you to be.
Father, we just ask that your, your spirit would just invade our hearts today. Jesus, would you open our eyes to how much you love us this morning. Holy Spirit, would you, would you block the, the, the lies of the enemy, the, the fear, the, the, the loss of expectation, all the things that get in the way of us, of us truly seeing you for who you are. Anything that, that hinders us from being able to see and receive your love, not just for humanity, for, but for us, for me, for, for us as individuals, God. We thank you for just for who you are, for all you've done for us, you, you continue to do for us. I'm gonna invite the uh, some of the prayer if the prayer team wants to come up. I think there's just only, the only way we can really, the only right response to this, to, to this truth, to this, this, this revelation of who Jesus is, 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 is the, the same one that they had back then. Is that's just, we just want to take a minute and worship this morning. But as we're doing that, I want to, I want the, the prayer team to, to, to come. Uh, and I want to extend an invitation. If, if there is, if, if, if you have been struggling with, with that, that reality, that God, Jesus loves you. That when you experience a, a, a setback or a, a trial in your life, here, here's some, here's some, some clues, <laughs> some little, little, little tests. When, when something happens, is your first, is your first reaction, okay, what I do wrong? You know, something, something unfortunate happens and not, not something like you obviously did, you know, you, you ran through a red light and you got in a car wreck. That's obviously there's a direct correlation there. But if generally in your life, whenever something goes poorly, your, your first reaction is to blame yourself. That's a clue that there, that, 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 that there may be a, a, a lack of, of, of trust in God's, Jesus' love for you. When, when, you, when you know you messed up, if your, your, your initial, your primary reaction is one of fear of God, fear of going to him, rather than, than running to him, that's a clue that there's, that there, there's another level of understanding of God's grace and God's love that, that, that you need a revelation, you need clarity in. You know, there's, Two reactions for a kid when they when they do something they know is wrong or they mess up. You know, there's 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 the kid that that says, "Oh no, I messed up." What's dad gonna think? And there's the other kid that goes, "Oh no, I messed up. I gotta call my dad." Who is Jesus to you? Is he the one that's gonna gonna lock you in your room and ground you, or is he, is he the one that's gonna help you walk yourself out of that mess? If you're struggling this morning, if you recognize that I don't, I don't think I fully have embraced Jesus' love for me, I want to encourage you to come, come get. Some, we'd love to pray for you this morning. And for the rest of us, we're just going to end this time with with the most appropriate uh, response to, to 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 thinking and 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 
you know, being, being in the presence of, of, of God's love and that's just to worship him back. So I encourage you to just take these next few moments and let's, let's just praise the one who loves us.
Father, we, we love you, we, we adore you. We also recognize that all of that is reactionary. Jesus, that it's, it's your great love for us. It's just a response to that, that we, ha- we are able to say that we love you. We are able to, to serve you, God. Would you continue to transform us by, by that love? God, increase our capacity to receive and to, to extend that love to those that, that we would come in contact with. God, this week as we, uh, we, we take extra time and extra motivation and extra uh, effort to to focus on your, your great sacrifice, your great liberation of our, of our spirits, of our souls. God, would, we, would you call us closer to yourself? We love you, Jesus. God's people said, amen, amen, happy Palm Sunday, we will see you guys Friday night, God bless.